0: It's a beautiful day in Iowa City today, sun shining, 70 degrees-ish. I uh, just got back from a long walk and uh, settling in here for another Hawkeye Nation mailbag podcast. It is, I believe, June 23rd. Um, days really aren't important right now. Uh, the dates are, are uh, hard to pin down. It is a Wednesday, and it's about 1.30 Central time. I am Rob Howe, publisher of Hawkeye Nation, and uh, we'll be answering your questions today uh, from our different platforms, from Facebook, um, Twitter, and uh, the Hawkeye Nation message boards. A lot of questions from Facebook today, so I appreciate appreciate everybody asking questions, but particularly the folks on Facebook that jumped in. I know I've written some things and said some things the last few weeks that have angered some people on that platform and others, um, but I guess in the, at the end of the day, it's nice to talk about Hawkeye sports, although some of the questions today will, uh, and I wrote about that on Monday in uh, in a column that was uh, kind of directed at sticking to sports and how difficult that is and, and probably will be uh, moving forward just because uh, politics, social is- issues, et cetera, uh, are coming into sports pretty steadily right now, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Uh, the discussion needs to be had, as uncomfortable as it may be. Um, but we'll certainly talk about sports, too. I mean, that's kind of uh, that's. – I'm not going to say it's as important as the uh, – as where our country is right now, economically, politically, and socially. But uh, we all love sports, and that's probably why you're listening to this and probably tired of hearing me talk about uh, different things outside of the sports world. But I think those worlds are colliding. And uh, as I said, I don't think that is a bad thing, um, as long as the discussion is uh, respectful and, um, you know, it's not intertwined with, with any type of um, inequality for people based on race and gender and all that other stuff. And um, I don't think there's any question that most uh, objective people would agree that uh, this country certainly needs to take steps forward uh, in terms of uh, being less divided. So there are, probably going to take a lot of time but uh i think sports are going to certainly have a role in that and um as i said i don't think that's a bad thing so uh let me go to the facebook page and we'll start with timmy downing asks if there is no football season this year what will happen to the seniors do they graduate or get an additional year underclassmen as well that's a uh, that's a That's a really good question, Timmy, obviously we have a little bit of a a look into uh, how that might be handled when when uh, the spring sports got canceled. Um, but this is a different dynamic just in terms of the revenue sports, uh, particularly football as you ask about, and potentially men's basketball. Uh, but obviously baseball they they've made adjustments to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, what happens at the high school level, you know, um, because, you know, I I have uh, um, uh, my son is in high school and I have somebody, you know, uh, my, our middle daughter is going to be in eighth grade. Um, so, you know, the, they're already taking surveys and trying to uh, brainstorm what the best um, procedures are or what the best approach is to learning out of the classroom in uh, classrooms with reduced uh, attendance, uh, you know, rotating, all that other stuff. So this kind of sports just kind of plays right into that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, people smarter than me, which is a large group, will come up with a way to Uh, accommodate that. And that's, you know, like with baseball, they had to and softball and some other sports track, uh, the spring sports, they've had to expand rosters, uh, you know, allow for uh, more scholarship money to be raised and and potentially given out to athletes. Uh, But yeah, that would be another. First of all, if there's no football, that's a huge, huge hit for uh, an athletic department, one that is going to be really tough to sustain and probably will come with casualties in the in the uh, form of you know sports going away non revenue sports going away so uh, because football and, and men 's basketball pay the bills for the other sports uh, so without those two seasons, who knows what any of this is going to look like um, but this is about the student athletes, and I would think you 're going to have to do everything you can to make sure that they are treated fairly. Um, I'm sure you'll have a a certain number of players that will just go to the NFL, even if there is no season that we're going to go to the NFL anyway, maybe an Alaric Jackson, Amir Smith-Marset, Chauncey Golston, uh, guys like that. Um, But then what do you do with all the other players? Do they they just lose a year of eligibility? Um, You know, and, and that, not only that, that, you know, the, the year of development and, and playing the game and being scouted and all that. So certainly we've heard the word unprecedented a lot during this whole thing, but I really don't have a handle on what would happen. But I would hope that whatever they do, it's similar to the spring sports that really uh, do things to, to best accommodate the athletes um, and give them the best chance at success in the future. So, thanks for the question, Timmy. Uh, stay tuned on that front to see what happens. Let's hope there's some form of a football season uh, so we don't have to go down that road. Uh, Mike Sheets asks If someone is positive, are they quarantined? Oh, positive test for COVID 19, he's asking. Are they quarantined in a dorm room and food and things brought to them? Do you know where and how this is happening? I do not, Mike. Um, I can only speak to when we talk to Gary Borda. Oh, shoot. That's probably been about a month ago when they first started uh, when we had a a Zoom press conference about the, you know, when they announced that players and coaches would be coming back to campus that they, you know, some schools, you know, self-quarantined players in dorms. At Iowa, they're living, as far as I know, off campus. Maybe some of the true freshmen that have come in since then are in dorms. Um, but a lot, but most of the players are living off campus and apartments and out in the community and, uh, you know, interacting, going to grocery store, things like that. So it's, you know, there's no real, uh, bubble, if you will, like they're talking about doing in the NBA, uh, in Orlando where it's just a self-contained, um, I think what you're seeing in college, you know, at Kansas state at LSU places where there are, um, a large or higher counts of cases, it's because the players are being college students. They're going out to parties or bars or whatever. And that just raises the, you know, raises the odds that there are going to be more cases. So um, I'm really, I will, I will try to ask that question next time I get somebody at Iowa uh, to uh, let me know how they are quarantining. Uh, I, I w- you know, there's a, there's a chance that whoever it is, uh, is just quarantine in their apartment, too, because whoever they're living with obviously needs to be quarantined. So um, the contact tracing is what's going to make this the most interesting in my, you know, from my view, because it's not just the guys that are testing positive or or um, girls that are testing positive in, in, you know, women's basketball or other sports as they come back to campus, but it's that contact taste, contact. Tracing who have they been in contact with, and having to quarantine them. So, this is uh, it's certainly going to be interesting. But uh, thanks for the for the uh, question, Mike, and I will try to find out more definitively. Uh, what the process is like at Iowa for the quarantines? Tim Herzog asks. Keep up the great work. Love the podcast. <laughs> Not a question, but a comment, and I appreciate it, Tim. Thanks for checking in, Brett Holman, who is the front runner for the new strength and conditioning coach. He's obviously talking about Iowa football, and who will um, step in now that Chris Doyle has and the university have uh, settled and parted ways. I just feel this interim coach can't be the answer considering he had, had been by Doyle's side for many years. Thoughts? You know, I've had a lot of conversations with people that are very pro uh, Raymond Braithwaite, who is the interim strength and conditioning coach who was with coach Doyle for a decade and a half. Um, I don't think you could just, and I, and I get where you're coming from. He worked for Doyle, And, you know, maybe you try to connect the dots and say that, you know, he was part of the problem, but I don't know that. And I, none of us know that. Um, And you would hope that the players that are in the building, the players that have been around Raymond, give the coaching, the rest of the coaching staff and the administration a, you know, an accurate and honest portrayal of Raymond if he is qualified for the job. Uh, what, their, what their interactions have been like with him. He could be – I mean, just because he worked for Chris Doyle doesn't mean that he coached the same way as Chris Doyle did. And obviously we still have to wait for the, uh, in, you know, the independent investigation to come back to find out exactly um, what it's been able to find in regards to Chris Doyle. But I think it's pretty obvious that um, uh, enough former players do not believe that Chris Doyle was doing the job the way it should have been done And, uh, you know, if if Raymond is, you know, in lockstep with Doyle, obviously it's going to make it tough for him to, to, uh, to lead that room. And, uh, but if, if he's not viewed that way, I don't think it would be that hard for him to lead that room. And, and it might, it may be ideally, it may be ideal that he is that guy to lead the room. Um, because he's familiar with the players he's familiar with you know the you know the conditioning and and nutrition and all that stuff that's already in place there it would seem like a an easier transition rather than bringing somebody in from the outside but if they were to bring somebody in from the outside there are guys that worked in that in that weight room uh through the years with chris doyle that are at other places right now um joe welsh is the strength and conditioning uh coach director at, uh, central Michigan. And I appreciate Tyler, Klu- Tyler Kluver, uh, from the walk on, um, the washed up walk-ons podcast for throwing some of these names out here too. I do remember them, but it was a little bit easier to research with him throwing those names out there. So I appreciate Tyler doing that. But, uh, Joe was here. Um, he was at, he, he runs central Michigan strength and conditioning program. Now he did at Delaware state before there. um, And looks like he was at Iowa from 2012 to 2016. Um, uh, Yep, and he's also been at Fordham. He's been in the business quite a while, so he certainly looks like a a gentleman that's qualified, and and I'm going to full disclosure here, this is not my area of expertise. So so take this with a grain of salt. But I kind of like the idea of having somebody – who's familiar with the Iowa program rather than just bringing in an outsider, but maybe that's the way they want to go. We'll find out. Um, Mark Wiseman is another one. Um, he was, uh, after his playing career, he was, uh, he was part of the strength and conditioning program, uh, you know, in a nutrition and analytics specialist, uh, early on in 2017. And then he was an assistant strength coach, uh, in 18 and 19, and then this past off season, he was named the director of strength and conditioning at Southeast Missouri State for their football program. So not as experienced as a guy like Joe Welsh, but certainly uh, a guy who's familiar with the program and is a former player. So obviously he has uh, certainly some things going for him as well. And it may not be a bad idea to just bring him back at some point anyway to work in strength and conditioning because he's somebody that's uh, very familiar with the program uh, and was a real asset when he was here. Uh, Nick DeMarco is another name that Kluver threw out there. Uh, he is the director of sports performance at Elon University. Uh, He was at Iowa for three years as an assistant strength and conditioning uh, coach. It looks like uh, 2014 to 2016. Uh, And he played um, uh, he played in the NFL too with the Jets and and the Ravens. So he's got some, uh, some good experience there. Um, He worked for William Penn university as an intern role. So different guys right there. So that's four guys I think that uh, are really interesting names that could be candidates for this job and it certainly will be interesting. We all know how important the job is and and how vital it is to have somebody in that position particularly at Iowa where development is so important uh, to have somebody that's very good at their job at developing players from a physical standpoint and from a nutritional standpoint, so it'll be interesting to see not only who that is but how long that process takes. I would doubt we hear anything until after um, the investigation comes back, and then beyond that, you know with the covid that we 've talked about and things going on there, are you going to be able to interview people and there's just that there are a lot of hurdles that have to be cleared there. So that's my, uh, that's my info on that. Thanks for the question, Brett. I appreciate it. James Finnessy. I wonder how Iowa fans will feel about the student athletes making a statement when they take knees during the national anthem. The university is in a difficult position with all this going on with the football team. And yet I fu- excuse me, and yet I was a good fan of the NFL. I stopped watching because of the disrespect for our flag and soldiers. I hope the same thing does not drive me away from the Hawkeyes in college football. Please students try another method to display your concerns that you have and feel. James, I, uh, not necessarily a question, but I appreciate um, just kind of your respectful uh, delivery of that, and, and I know it's it's a hot button topic that people are lashing out at each other about, and it's very very uh, polarizing. It's a polarizing topic, um, and really, if if we're being honest, it's the topic that started uh, this um, these you know the 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 issues with inequality and allegations of inequality in the Iowa program surfaced because of this. It it was James Daniels who stood up um, uh, on social media regarding uh, a team kneeling, uh, the team kneeling together, as as Kirk Ferentz said, he wants either a team that's going to stand together or kneel together. And James basically tweeted, it's a program and a state that needs change and kneeling would be as a team would be powerful. So then we've had Matt Hankins come out and say he doesn't. Um, it doesn't matter to him what the team decides. He's going to kneel. Uh, senior cornerback from Texas, uh, Kayvon Merriweather came out and basically said that if you can't uh, handle that, that they may kneel. Uh, then you know and, and support them. Uh, then they don't care if you're a fan. I think they probably care and they care about fans that support them. Uh, this is just going to be a very polarizing issue. There are going to be people like you, James, that are steadfast, that if players kneel, it is disrespectful f- to the flag. And that is certainly your right to to feel that way, um, and you're not alone. I've heard from plenty of people that feel that way. Um, but, you know, we – We live in in what we hope is a free country that's becoming more equal by the day. Uh, And it's going to be up to each individual to decide how they feel if the players kneel and how they respond to how the players kneel, whether you want to give up your fandom of that team, uh, because it's going to be hard because I think you're going to see this throughout sports. I was at uh, uh, last night, uh, Tuesday night, June 22nd, I was at a high school baseball game and I saw several players kneeling and their teammates standing. Um, and no, there was no big deal made of it. Nobody screamed at them. It just was done. They played the anthem. A few players kneeled and they moved on. And I'm wondering if that's kind of the way things will go eventually. Um, but I think on a national basis, there's certainly going to be pushback. Um, to what degree, I don't know. But as I've written on the site and talked about before, it's going to be one of the main stories when, when and if football returns in the fall. Thanks, James. I appreciate your, uh, as I said, respectful and thoughtful comments. Renee Birkin Huseman. I, hopefully I didn't butcher your name, Renee. Uh, what with ticket sales halted, where do t- c- student tickets stand? From what I've heard, Renee, um, there's been approximately 40,000 tickets sold to date roughly. Um, and 35,000 would be general public, uh, university employees and the like, uh, and 5,000 are students. So (laughs) again, we just, we got to see if these students even make it back to campus at this point. Um. And if there's going to be a football season, but that's, that's kind of how things stand right now. And they haven't halted season tickets yet or ticket sales yet. I think we should uh, clarify that. I know it was um, when the, when the university released that on Monday uh, there were some people that believed that it was happening, you know, immediately, the ticket sales are going through the end of this month. I think the question then becomes, you know, say they're at 40 now, and people are like, oh no, I got to get my tickets because they're not going to have individual game tickets. And I want to get in before, you know, the end of June. So I make sure I get my tickets. And it goes up to 45 or 50. And this is just speculation on my part. It, just as things stand today on June 23rd, I'd be surprised if we see 50,000 people in the stands. I'm thinking more 30 to 35 range. And if that's the case, then you go to a point system. And, uh, which is donations and all, uh, you know, a lot goes in that equation. And you can see that on Hawkeye I believe they have the rundown of that. And, um, I don't know if seniority plays into that or whatever, but there's a good chance they're going to have to refund a portion of what they've already sold. So really just a fluid situation, Renee, but from what I've heard so far, about 5,000 season tickets for the students have been sold so far. Thank you for the question. Uh, Tim Halber, what would the financial impact be to the university if there were no ticket sales? TV deals pull in a lot of money, but I'm not sure how ticket sales play in the financial, uh, uh, financial athletic part. Um, season tickets are going to put you somewhere in the, I'm going to say twenty seven, twenty eight. Thousand or thousand, uh, 27 28 million dollars a year, and TV is about 50. Um, so you're looking right there at over 75 million dollars that are brought in by uh the TV and ticket sales for football. So, um, and I believe the TV may also incorporate um uh basketball too, but I could be off on that. This is again not my area of expertise. Um but just from a reference point, uh, 2018, uh, tickets brought in 25 point3 million, 2019, it went to 27 point2 million. Um, and 2017, it was 28 point3 million. So that kind of gives you a rough idea of what season or what ticket sales mean to the athletic department for football. So if we're talking about half that. Um, if only half the stadium is full, like it's thirty to thirty-five thousand, you just cut that whatever. Say cut twenty-five and half, twenty-six and half. You're talking twelve, thirteen million dollars uh, lost. Um, you get the twelve or thirteen million, but you lose that much as well. And that was a story. I got those numbers out of a story by Vanessa Miller on the Gazette. I've also got some information from uh, the Des Moines Register in regards to ticket sales. Like I said, and and. Um, other uh, questions that get asked by you guys, please support local journalism and media. Uh, I know the media is a little bit under fire these days from, from a f- faction of the population in this country, but it is vital. You want, I mean, people ask questions and want information all the time, and that comes from journalists. So if you could support them, I do, uh, and I appreciate their work, uh, and I wanted to give them a shout-out on here for helping me answer some of your questions. So thank you for the question, Tim. Kenneth Anderson, ha, Iowa has several African-American assistant coaches. That said, were you surprised that the black football players did not confide, excuse me, confide in their assistant coaches more about unfair treatment? Do you think that might have something to do with Chris Doyle being in such a position of power? If so, do you think that will improve now that Doyle is gone? I enjoy your podcasts and stories. Thank you for listening and reading, Kenneth, and thank you for the question. Uh, this kind of is nothing that I can talk about concretely, um, just kind of what I've heard in terms of how players feel. Uh, I think Ivory Kelly Martin, um, uh, a few weeks ago when we were, you know, you know, we talked to he and, and uh, Kayvon Merriweather and, and Keith Duncan and Kirk Ferentz, Ivory Kelly Martin talked about having to look you know, watch your back in the football facility, and talking about without Doyle being in there, that it was much more relaxed and enjoyable. So, I'm just taking that from, and then you 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 know you add that to all the stories that came out from four former players, um, where Doyle was far and away the assistant coach, or however you want to. You know, the, the coach on the staff, the staff member who was uh, whose fingers who the fingers were pointed out the most for mistreatment. And um, so I you know, it was it's just it's it, the, the climate where this went down and the climate that we're in now has changed so much in the last month since George Floyd's death and, you know, uh, minorities and, and people that have been marginalized, have, have, you know, and felt empowered. To speak up and speak out about these things, um, so that if George Floyd doesn't happen, do these players even come out? Um, and and you know what would you know if there was a situation within the, the the walls of that football program that was combustible, would it have blown up in a lot worse way eventually, based on how these guys all felt and the stories that they alleged? Um, so. You know i I have no problem with them coming out and telling their stories, and then the university responding to it and looking into it and then having an investigation about it uh, and, and trying to change what needs to be changed. Yes, to answer your question bluntly, yes, I was surprised when I saw all those players come out on social media uh, with their complaints. I never would have thought that happened, not that I didn 't think it was possible. Um, I just was surprised. I think like everybody uh, that maybe is, you know, isn't involved directly within the program walls that um, these allegations were being made and, you know, they were so powerful in some of the comments that were made and, and, you know, the stance that change needed to happen. It wasn't, there was no gray area there. There was some gray area with some of the stories um, you know, varying degrees of, of accusations and allegations. But I think you could say pretty much all the players were in lockstep that there needed to be a change. And again, many of that, many of those fingers were pointed at coach Doyle and his treatment of players. Um, and we can go down a different road about, you know, what was, you know, was it racism? Was it, um, you know, bullying? Was it old school coaching, uh, Cause you, you hear so many different reactions to what the stories we heard from the stories that we heard. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to reserve judgment until we see what comes back with this investigation. But obviously we've already seen in comments from players current and past that they're pleased that Chris Doyle is gone. So um, the ones that felt that strongly uh, we've also had players come out, Tyler Kluver, who I mentioned earlier in this podcast, one of them, Pat Anger, uh, one of the all-time great linebackers at Iowa. Uh, Matt Malloy, former receiver. Cole Crosston uh, played here. Doyle developed him into an NFL offensive lineman, all coming out in support of Chris Doyle when it was announced that he and the school were separating. Um, so I don't think you can just say everything that Chris Doyle did was bad, um, but the treatment of some of the players – at least from an accusation and allegation standpoint, crossed the line for them. And they felt like this program, their program, a program that many of them played in for four and five years, deserve change. So take that for what it's worth. It's not a story that's over yet. And uh, it's one that still has a lot of questions. So be interesting to see how many answers we get. Thank you for the question, Kenneth. No, oh, Excuse me ate chili for lunch. That was not a good idea to do that before recording this podcast. And uh, I'm sorry if that gives you an unpleasant visual. Jason Thornton asks, do you think this is Kirk's final season as the head coach? Any candidates to replace him, assuming that BF Brian Ferentz isn't happening. I think it's going to be real hard for Brian Ferentz to be, to succeed his father after this story, uh, just from accusations from former players Um, I think there will be some pushback on that uh, if he is a candidate and and somebody that's named uh, because, you know, this program uh, isn't just the guys that are in that coaching staff and isn't just the guys that are currently on the team. There are way, way, way more former players and how they feel about their program is ultra important. You need to have, you know, whether it's the Hawkeye legacy program or, uh, I know they, they have a um, i can 't think of the name of it, but uh, they, they, they bring former players back uh, and do kind of a, uh, a workshop every year uh, to for for players that are going to go out into the world and work you know whatever careers they may have they 're getting advice from former players. You need those connections not only in recruiting but just for the stability of the foundation of your program and if and i don 't know this to be the case. But there were enough former players that pushed back on Brian Ferentz that I don't know, and maybe that changes over time, Uh, maybe five years from now, if Kirk decides to coach that long and is able to coach that long, that, uh, you know, the reputations and views of all this, you know, whoever's on this coaching staff change. Uh, but I just think it's going to be really hard to, it would be really hard to, to do that now. And we'll have, it, time will tell how much that is repaired over time. We still haven't heard from Brian Ferentz, uh, Seth Wallace, some some other guys that were, were named in these allegations. So uh, it's going to be incumbent upon them to help repair their, Uh, reputations and how people view them. And the most important um, uh, repair work needs to happen between them and players that were accusing them or other former players that may question who they are now, they have to repair those relationships and uh, their reputations. And in terms of who might replace Kirk Ferentz, Jason, and, and your, your first question, is, is this his final season? I really think, and I don't know, I, you know, I don't know Kirk Ferentz well. Uh, I've been around him now for 21 years and covering the program. But I, I can't say I know him or we're friends. Or we've never hung out socially. Um, I just know him from, you know, however many press conferences I've attended with him. Um, and that's really it. So this is more based on what I've seen from him. Me looking at him as as a a media member, as a journalist, looking at him as a coach, and just you know, um, what I've witnessed before, and kind of how I view him, and I don't think there's any way he wants to um, leave here without repairing his legacy. Without, I mean, this is always going to be a part of it now, but he can also help foster change and as we've written about and talked about push Iowa into the forefront of change uh, as a model for for programs around the country. And if he can be the leader of that, that would to him be much uh, a much more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, desirable way to go out. And I think he cares enough to want to do that. And Can he do that? That's another question. We'll have to see just in terms of how, how, and we've talked about this before, you know, they are old school coaches. I I don't think you can deny that with their approach, but they have to bring enough new school in and can they merge and marry, you know, marry those two philosophies and be successful. That's to me, one of the more interesting aspects of how this program is going to operate moving forward. But a few names I thought about, I think you probably may throw a call out to Bob Stoops and see if he 's interested. I have my doubts uh, at his point you know at the point of his life um, i, I don 't know how old Bob is now he 's probably sixty sixty one somewhere in there that' it'd be you know even though it 's his alma mater i don 't know if he wants to to put that on his plate he 's uh, had some Several years now of being away and enjoying life and his family and his, his kids play at, at Oklahoma. So not sure that would be uh, um, a move that he would make. His brother, uh, Mark Stoops, the head coach at Kentucky, I think would be a candidate Uh, He's done a nice job at that school where it's hard to win in football and a very tough conference. And he's had quite a bit of success there has recruited really well. And not only in the South, but he's, you know, recruited up into Ohio and Michigan uh, and done well in those States. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's certainly, I I don't think it would be that difficult of a transition for him. Uh, Jay Norvell, uh, you know, he's been in coaching now for a long time, former player for, ha- for uh, Hayden Fry. Uh, he's the head coach at Nevada right now. I would think that he would get a look. And Jerry Montgomery, who's been in college and is now the defensive line coach with the Green Bay Packers. If You remember Kirk Ferentz was the offensive line coach with uh, the Baltimore Ravens at the time. I think Jerry Montgomery would make a very inter- interesting candidate. He played for both Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz. Uh, he's cut his teeth and, and worked his way uh, up the ladder uh, in coaching, and uh, I think he would certainly be somebody to get a look. So, some names out that I throw out there that that have that interest me that I I would think would interest Iowa, and then certainly you could go outside of the Hawkeye family. Um, and, and if that's the case, it, it, who knows what, what would it be? Uh, and I appreciate that question, Jason. Uh, Brent Ross, man, we're still on Facebook. This is the last Facebook question. Brent Ross, given the recent cases of coronavirus since the team reconvened, do you think the season actually gets played this year? If so, how many games do you think they will play? I touched on the the virus. We've got so much going on this year just in terms of uh, uh, life-changing moments in 2020. But obviously this coronavirus will not go away and uh, is kind of creeping back into the consciousness of America again uh, after it looked like uh, the quarantine and shutdown um, was doing its job to flatten the curve. Then things opened up again and now cases are on the rise and I'm not going to go into that politically and uh, go down that rabbit hole, but I will say I have no idea, Brent. Uh, I do think there'll be some type of football season. Um, I don't know what it will look like. I don't know if it'll be a split season where they play some in the fall and then some in the spring. Uh, I don't know if they play a little bit in the fall and the rest in the spring. I've said this before on this podcast, and I believe this is still to be the case. And we talked about it earlier in this podcast in terms of ticket st- sales and revenue and how important football is to an athletic department. Um, they're, they're going to do everything they p- can to play as many football games as they can whenever they can in this fiscal year, which will begin July 1st next week. Um, so w- however they figure that out and however they do that, I think, I think it's a big reason why they're trying to start as soon as possible. So even if they have to break up the season – uh, they get, they really get a whole year to try to get that revenue, uh, to, to try to raise the revenue through ticket sales and, and TV deals and all the other stuff. Um, you know, merchandise, everything they can do to, um, increase the budget, get as much money as they can in the budget they're going to do. Um, I know I've, I've seen some models where, they're all you know. There's been talk to just play ten conference games in the Big Ten. I, I think that's probably on the table, which is kind of weird for Iowa because I, that would wipe out Iowa's non-conference schedule, which is Iowa State, UNI, and Northern Illinois, all teams that could, you know, conceivably come here the day of the game and leave after the game and not have to stay in town and go back to their own quote-unquote bubble. So. Um, you know, so you're throwing out three teams that are, you know, bus rides away for, you know, you know, Rutgers or Michigan or somebody else from the other division. So interesting times indeed. I don't know what we're going to see. I think we'll see at least some football in the fall, what that will look like. I really have no idea. I appreciate that question, Brent and everybody on Facebook. And uh, I'll post that up again next week to get you guys to throw some questions my way. Uh, let's see here. We will go to Twitter next. E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014 asked, how far will Iowa hoops get in the NCAA tournament? And do you agree with Lenardi, Joe Lenardi of ESPN, that is, who has them as a three seed? Um, fair questions. How far will Iowa get? That's hard for me to know without seeing the bracket and kind of doing uh, ma- basketball matchups are so. And they are in every sport, but basketball in particular. Um, I think Iowa has the type of team that can get to the Final Four. And, and a team that can get to the Final Four certainly has a chance to win it all. So I would put that out there as the ceiling for this team. Um, I have no problem at all doing that, and obviously that's contingent on Luka Garza coming back. I believe as we sit here today, June 23rd uh, at 2.02 p.m. Central Time, I think his plan is to come back, or that's the most likely scenario for Luka Garza. But I also think things can change here in the next couple months before he has to decide one way or the other. Uh, what the college basketball season is going to look like, as we've talked about on this podcast. What if college football gets canceled to the spring? Will there be college basketball? Um, so many unanswered questions, and I think it's smart for Luca to just kind of wait and see what happens here. Um, is there going to be a combine for for the NBA draft uh, will, you know, will there be individual workouts? It doesn't look like those things, but ha- could happen or will happen, but who knows? Um, so he, he needs to leave all of his options open. He's here. He's, you know, in the weight room with his teammates, he's playing five on five with his teammates here in Iowa city. He's preparing for the college college basketball season. And to me, that's great. He, he's doing that and still has the door open in case, you know, it looks like the NBA route is the best route for him. So, Time will tell on that. And uh three seed from Lenardi, I guess so. That's what? That's uh nine through twelve uh in the rankings or the seating on the seedings. Uh yeah, I guess that's fair. I also should, could see them being a two or a one. Uh but three's probably fair at this point. And to be honest with you, E, I don't have his uh projections in front of me, so I don't know he has ahead of him either. But uh three seems reasonable. Four, three, two, one. I think you get in any of those top four seeds you're in pretty good shape uh race car passenger at race car passenger on twitter asks any updates on josh and gundale and when he might be able to join the men's basketball team in the u.s good question race car and i have um i spoke with fran mccaffrey last week and the, the story is on our website if you go on the hawkeye and click the basketball tab you'll see our basketball stories uh and it's the information is in the story uh, that I wrote about the, all, the last week when the team got back together. It's I forget what the headline is. It's, you know, team happy to be together, something real, uh, <laughs> something real creative like that. But uh, Josh is uh, still in London, and they really don't know when he's going to get here. Uh, they're still trying to work through these things. Uh, I did a story. I wrote a story and posted it today on Tory Taylor, the punter from Australia, uh, he's, he doesn't know either. It's just kind of, uh, they're kind of in limbo, uh, when they're going to be able to travel here and the things they have to do in terms of traveling visa, uh, do they need exemptions? Uh, what do they do in terms of quarantine? Um, all that stuff is, is on the table for them. And, and Tory Taylor told me he's looking at the end of July or beginning of August. I do not know if that's the same for Josh, um, it didn't seem like anything was imminent in talking to Fran. It just seemed like they're working and doing everything they can to get him over here. So just kind of stay tuned on that, and we'll kind of have to see where it goes. Uh, just Jeff again, at Jeff Myers 8 on Twitter. Rob, how many recruits do you remember committing, decommitting, and only to commit again? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. And I saw somebody talking about them, this on Twitter. It may have been Blair Sanderson uh, from Hawkeye Report. Um, and he mentioned Riley Reef, and that's the one that popped into my mind. Uh, and what was his recruiting class? 2007, 2008, somewhere all the way back then. Uh, but he committed to Iowa, decommitted, committed to Nebraska, decommitted, and committed back to Iowa, obviously. Uh, and now has had a nice long NFL career, but he's the one that comes to mind. The other one was Juan Harris. Never made it here, but he committed and decommitted a couple times to Iowa. Um, Decommitted. He committed, excuse me, he committed, decommitted, and recommitted, I should say, only to decommit again, So, and he never made it to campus. But those are the only two that come to mind. Obviously, you have guys that are flipping commitments from other schools to Iowa and vice versa. Uh, But very, very unusual to see a kid uh, commit, decommit, and recommit. But we're in unusual times right now. Uh, And I I think the situation with Jordan Oladokun – from um tampa the the defensive back who uh committed on sunday recommitted on sunday i should say uh you know that's the, been a dead period since the beginning of march these guys haven't been able to visit campus or meet with coaches even at their house face-to-face meetings have been banned since march and will go through july at least so it's really a difficult time for these recruits and i and i you know, I sympathize with what they're having to do in their recruiting process. And I've talked about it before on here. uh, And I know others feel the same way. They should make some concessions. The NCAA should makes, you know, concede some, some of the rules um, loosen some of the rules for these guys when things do, if they do open back up again, to give them a chance and college coaches a chance for, to evaluate and, and, uh, be able to build relationships that were not able to be built all spring and into the summer. So, those are the only two I can remember, Jeff. But I'm sure if somebody's listening to this podcast, feel free to uh, reach out to us and let us know if we missed anybody. Uh, this question was asked by Hawkeye Observer at Hawkeye Observer. Um on Twitter, if Iowa beats Ohio State this year, what does that game look like based on what you know about each team's personnel? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I know Justin Fields is a really good quarterback, and I was breaking in a new quarterback who I do feel uh has a has a a chance to be really good in in Spencer Petrus, but obviously Justin Fields is one of the best in the country. Uh and Ohio State is loaded at the skill positions. They did lose um, Dobbins to the pros as well and and they they lose guys to the pros and just kind of reload there, but um, obviously that's going to be a, a daunting task for Iowa to go into Columbus if that's the case, and if that game happens and try to get that win, I saw some early lines on that game at like seventeen or eighteen. if that gives you any idea, I was usually not uh, Iowa certainly is an underdog at times, but usually not by you know. 17, 18 points. So, um, and that obviously is fluid as well, but what that game would look like, um, I, you know, I think Iowa's best chance is to, um, you know, control the clock, make it a four quarter game. I know that's cliche, uh, but with a team as, ex- as, as, as explosive as the Buckeyes are on offense with, with a guy, you know, you know, the, uh, with a signal caller, that's that dangerous, um, I really think you want to keep him off the field as much as possible. So running the football to me is is uh, paramount. And I think if you kept the game low twenties and below, uh, much better chance to win. And I know people are probably, you know, rolling their eyes right now and pointing back to to 2017 Ohio State here. Um, yeah, I don't think. That was wonderful, and it was on Big Ten Network again the other day, and I enjoyed watching it again. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't see Iowa putting up 50 on Ohio State, and I think Iowa would be best served, ball control, control the clock, four-quarter game, um, and then win it late. No, that would, be, um, that would be how I think that game would look, but other people could think it would look different, and I'm okay with that because it's opinion. Uh, thank you for the question, Hawkeye, Hawkeye Observer. And I know you asked that like last week, and I appreciate you bringing that back to my attention today. Uh, Cubman, uh, Andy Paw, rules one on Twitter. How likely do you think is college football will have reduced schedule or do you, or that they even play at all? Um, yeah, Andy, I, I touched on this question from a Facebook uh, user who asked similar a similar question. I do think there will be college football in some form between uh July 1st that's coming up of 2020 and July 1st of 2021 they'll do everything they can <clears throat> to make as much money as they can for their athletic department so they'll I I'm, I can't even imagine I would love to get a look at all the different models there are uh throughout the country for what college football can look like because I think some of them would be really entertaining <laughs> and some of them would be uh out in left field but I certainly would uh I certainly would, would love to uh, get a look at some of the administ- administrators there in, in conferences that are involved in this and just see uh you know what what some of those models and, and outlines might look like so we'll get to learn you know it's tough being patient it's tough trying to Trying to think what's going things are gonna look like in another over. Anyway, the, the first game's more than two months away. Who the heck knows what's gonna happen between now? Should say the first scheduled game. Excuse me, Chili's coming back on me again. Uh, is another you know another uh, more than a couple months away. So just kind of have to see what, how things go here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the uh, the coronavirus does not uh, run away again on us get or get out of control, I guess, for the rest of this summer. Um, and hopefully the players have learned now from the first few cases that uh, go on to parties, going out to bars. If you want to play football, don't do that. Thank you for the question, Cub, man. Matt Dolman at Mr. Dolman on Twitter asks, have you heard from any former black basketball players about their experiences at, at Iowa? All the re- all the talk recently has been about the football program is the difference due to the coaches, number of athletes on the team, or the way players are coached in each sport. That's a really good question, Matt. And not that I'm trying to avoid it at all, but I think that's probably the factors that you mentioned and more. Um, I-, I saw that uh, Matt, uh, Mike Loss from the Gazette, again, support local journalism, uh, talked to Tyler Cook. Uh, who's been very outspoken about uh, racial injustice in this country. Uh, And he talked about how much he enjoyed his time at Iowa and did not feel, uh, uh, you know, any inequality or racism. Um, And I'm friends with guys that have gone through this program and have talked to some of them, just haven't felt it on the basketball side. And that's not to say they haven't been uncomfortable. Um, I think we're learning in this country that, Uh, some of the things that may be common or everyday, uh, occurrences that we as white people don't see can be uncomfortable for black people. And, uh, you know, in a state and, and, uh, um, in a city and area that's predominantly white, I would be surprised if those guys hadn't felt that in some way, shape or form, um, And this goes back to, I think I mentioned this on this this show. Back in 97, 98, my first year here, uh, I did a story on the women's basketball team. I talked to Tiffany Gooden, uh, who was from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, Angela Hamlin. um, And I know they're both married now, and I apologize to them for not knowing their married names. Uh, And Angela was from Gary, Indiana. Um, And they had a culture shock when they came to Iowa. And I've heard, Ronnie Harmon on the radio talk about that. Uh, We had um, uh, Dana Hughes, who's from New Jersey, talk about that on our podcast. Um, And that's all progress that still needs to be made. But I think it comes down to, to me, the culture in the program. And that's the players, that's the coaches, uh, how fans treat the players. All of those things come into play. And I think it is much more difficult for football when you have 120 players, coaches, support staff. It's more difficult for it to be even for everybody than it is in basketball, where you have, you know, 15 players, four coaches, trainer, doctor, some team managers, just a way, way smaller group of people, much more intimate, as Fran McCaffrey talked about with us last week. Um, and I think it's easier to root out injustice or racial, you know, racial bias or mistreatment. It's much easier to root it out in a small, more intimate setting like that. But no, Matt, I have not heard from any basketball players that felt mistreated while they were here. Um, or anything to the level of the allegations that have been levied against the football program. Thank you for the question, Matt. And we move on to Kyle Bolin uh, at Kyle Bolin on Twitter. Well, the football team quarantine certain players like backup quarterback during the season in case of position room outbreak. That's a really good question and a very good idea, Kyle. Um, and I think I, I know that they are still, or, or at least were last time we, we talked to the coaches and, and players, they were still um, conducting a lot of Zoom meetings and a lot less face-to-face um, interactions, even in the football building. Uh, you know, players were separated, smaller groups, uh, Zoom meet position meetings. I think that's a great idea. I, I think keep them separated uh, because we talked about earlier on the podcast that contact tracing, if you're all four of you, you know, are, you know, however many I guess there are three scholarship quarterbacks in Spencer Petrus, Alex Padilla, and Deuce Hogan. Um, you got those three, then the walk-ons, then Ken O'Keefe. Um, maybe Brian Ferentz comes through the room. You know, the the more the more is not the merrier when it comes to this coronavirus, and I would think that less face-to-face contact would be better, uh, at least in these stages. Once you get on the field, though, there's nothing you can really do. I mean, you're going to have to work together. You're going to run into each other. You're going to, you know, spit on each other. Not literally spit on each other, but there's going to be droplets coming out of your mouth into your, you know, into your teammates mouth uh, and face. I really think uh, you know, the football helmet shields, I, I think that's a no-brainer. Why not all wear those shields that we see some players wearing, the full shield all the way down the face mask, I think makes a ton of sense. Um, it would be interesting to see if teams adopt that as a rule. Um, but I think you have to take every safety measure you can, Kyle, and, and that's certainly a good one, um, not having guys together all the time. Uh, Brett, Brent Duham. Culture Eats Strategy for Breakfast on Twitter. Uh, first, thank you for keeping the sports content coming, Rob. You're welcome, Brent. Thank you for the question. A great deal has changed in your line of work since you started your career. What part or parts of your role today do you enjoy the most compared to 10 plus years ago? I've never, and I know this will make people roll their eyes, I don't like being a part of any story. It's happened to me throughout my career, and I think it's just the way journalism has uh, and and the views of media and the, um, the interactions with readers and listeners just from being able to, you know, people reaching out on social media. There's just much more uh, interaction now than there used to be. I mean, it used to be I'd get phone calls at the office at the Press Citizen or letters to the editors or, you know emails, things like that. Now it's much more instant. And I never like being part of the story like to just do my job. And I know people have opinions on how I do my job. And I certainly understand that I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, I try to do my best. um, And I'm certainly not trying to um, steer a story in any any certain direction. I'm trying to be as objective as possible when I cover news. And then I also write columns and and do podcasts where I have opinion. But uh, I I think the part of my job that I've enjoyed the most um, and and I don't think this really changed in the last 10 years, it's getting to know uh, the people. And I know you hear that when you say, you know, coaches say, you know, the best part of the program are the relationships with the players. Well, I think somebody people in the media feel the same way. Um, Not only the relationships that I have long relationships I have with people in the media in Iowa and elsewhere in the country that I've known from, you know, other big 10 schools or just other schools, but also the relationships with the players through the years, you know, going back and getting drew Tate on, on the podcast this spring and, and going down memory lane with him and all, I mean, there's so, and I just mentioned drew because that one I felt was such a, um, he did such a good job with that interview and, and expressing his feelings and, and letting people know what it was like and where he is now and how, and then just watching these guys grow and have their own families and getting, you know, Colin Cole and getting to know his wife now. And, you know, through the years, getting to know coaches. Um, there are a lot of coaches through the years that I feel like uh, I consider friends. Um, I won't name names because I don't want to alienate people that I you know, that also just try to connect dots and say, ah, see, he's out to get so-and-so, but that's not the case. Um, And, you know, but, but more the players and just getting, and their families, you know, covering recruiting, getting to know parents, getting to know players through the years uh, and those relationships that I still have today from, uh, you know, 20 to 25 years ago. Um, I still have relationships with high school people that I covered back when I worked at newspapers in New Jersey. Um, And those are people are like, you know, when I first started out of college, those people are close to my age, you know, so really, it's about the relationships. And I know you hear that a lot in life. And that's cliche. But writing feature stories on those people getting to know them um, is really the most enjoyable part of this job. And really, that's what I thought I would be getting into when I started this job. But then you have the off the field stuff from whatever Pierre pierce uh, to, you know, the grab to this current situation. Uh, you know, there, there, there are, uh, I guess, you know, I was probably Pollyanna pie in the sky when I got onto this business thinking I'd just go to games and write about, write stories about games because that was certainly naive on my part, but I accru- appreciate the question, Brent. Um, And now we will move on to the Hawkeye Nation message boards. Um, Not a lot of questions on here. I think a lot of people are still mad at me on the message boards, Uh, but that's okay. Let's go to the football board first. I don't think I have many here, so this shouldn't take much longer if you're starting to get tired of hearing me talk. Uh, Hawkeye's Gone Wild asks, what do you think Iowa's record will be? At best, I see eight and four. Thank you, Rob. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Hawks Gone Wild, and thank you for not um thank you for sticking with us on Hawkeye Nation. Um that's a good question. I I I'm gonna reserve like a, a number right now. I think eight and four is certainly reasonable, and I think that would be a really good season at Iowa when you consider having a new quarterback and the and the difficulty of this schedule. Um I think seven-five is possible. I think s- 9 and 3 is possible. I think probably for that 7 to 5 to 9 and 3 range, but there are just so many intangibles here, unknowns, uh factors that could play into this just in terms of how many games will be played. Um where will they be played? Will there be fans in the stands? Uh what players may get sick and not be able to play. They're just – you know, if you're gambling (laughs) this season, good luck because uh, you could have something come out right before kickoff. You've got – you know, I don't know what people bet these days. I don't gamble anymore uh, other than to play fantasy sports. But you've got a 100 bucks, say, on, you know, a a certain team – Comes out an hour before kickoff. You got that bet down. Oh, by the way, the sort, the starting quarterback, receiver, and running back all have coronavirus and are in quarantine. <laughs> you know how does that? How do how do the bookmakers handle that? How do the casinos handle that? Just, just a, such a strange time right now in this country. But uh, Hawks gone wild. I think you're probably on it. I think eight and four is probably the median prediction right now, and, and certainly one that I, I think uh, you could view as a um, a successful season. And, and, and also not all eight and fours, seven and fives, nine and threes are created equal. Obviously you want to win the most games, but you know, if that eight and four is losses to Iowa state, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio state, you know, you know, or Nebraska. I mean, it, it, certain teams that it's, it's all, a lot of it is perception too. Whatever teams you lose to how fans perceive that loss. Like if you lose to Nebraska at home, that's going, or Iowa state at home, that's going to freak people out. But then if you go and win at Penn state, um, you know, that, that, that loss to Iowa state at home still hangs on there. So just trying to, uh, trying to differentiate here that there are different uh, all records are not created. All eight and four records are not created equally. S S C Kelly. I've already asked you mine. This is just a reminder. Your thoughts on recruiting class staying intact during this rough time. Yeah, Kelly. I, um, I've talked about this and, and written about this. Um, I did a story, I believe last week where I talked to, um, Z- Xavier Quankpa uh, from I, I'm, I know I'm butchering his last name, uh, defensive back from Southeast Polk, uh, who was confident that Iowa would recover from this and and do what's necessary to make change. Skylar Bell, a receiver, uh, 2021 receiver uh, from Connecticut, who was teammate high school teammates with Deontay Vines, who just arrived here in this recent class, who said he certainly has paid attention to the story. Uh, not something he wanted to hear, but he also believes that I will be able to recover. Um, and these are uncommitted guys too. So I think the guys that are committed are, are still, you know, and let me finish my thought. I'm going, I'm sorry. I'm kind of scatterbrained here, but Isaac Thompson, who is a safety type out of uh, St. Louis basically said uh, he still really likes his relationship with LeVar Woods, but he'd be lying if he said he was still considering Iowa. So that's a four star that has offers from, you know, Michigan, Notre Dame, a lot of schools across the country um, who said he won't consider Iowa anymore after this. Um, but I think the 2021 20, classes uh, that are already together and even the guys that are in the 22 class, and there aren't many of them, uh, and maybe only be Graves. I can't think about it. I can't think of it right now. But anyway, the, the focus on the 20 class that just got here and the 21 class that's now up to 17 commitments after Jordan Oladokun uh, re, re, recommitted, um, I think those classes are okay. Those are, um, most of those guys have been to campus multiple times, have relationships with the Iowa staff. For me, the biggest question is moving forward. Uh, in the 22, 23, 24 classes, because because now there's ammunition from opposing coaches to use against you. Uh, And that's, you know, it can be viewed as underhanded or, but it's a nasty game recruiting. And there's no doubt in my mind that that will happen out there, Uh, especially if it gets down to, you know, a couple schools. And I was in with, you know, somebody in the region or somebody that is very familiar with this story it's there's a good chance it's going to be brought up. So to me, we're not going to know the impact of recruiting in the 20. Well, obviously the 20 class is here, um, and nobody's left. And the 20, nobody's left the 21 classes. Although those are all verbal commitments, um, and they don't sign till December at the earliest. So uh, still fluid. We'll have to see what this uh, investigation brings back, and if that changes any of their minds. But uh, I think that's pretty solid. Again, it's going to be those recruiting classes moving forward, and that's why it's so important for Iowa to do well this year and next year on the field to show that they, that's one way of showing that you've dealt with this problem if the team is together enough to win football games, and then also your current players um, – advocating for the program's changes that is going to be vitally important because the coaches can talk to their blue in the face about, yeah, these are the changes we're making. We want to make the changes, you know, that's great. And it's important, but it's when these kids come on visits and meet with current players and get to ask their peers, how they view the program now and what changes have been made and do they believe that things are going in the right direction because those especially when they're like those junior days there's a lot of times there's the coaches aren't around and they have player panels where the parents and the players the recruits can ask the current players questions those are all going to be really important and then official visits when they go out and you know well if they can go out again but whenever they're hanging out um you know what type of feedback they get from current players. I think that's one of the most vital parts of this whole puzzle. Thank you for the question, Kelly. Uh, B. uh, B Gold asks, do you believe DJ's story in regards to KF having the cops raid his drug house as well as, I'm sorry to laugh. I I am sorry to laugh. It's not a funny story, but it is a little bit funny that I'm, I'm talking about somebody raiding a football player's drug house uh, as well as boasting about his, the, about his plan the right before to DJ's foster parents. Do I believe the story? I don't know what to believe. I've heard so many different stories about this and have not had given, you know, I I haven't had a chance to ask Kirk about this. Maybe I will someday. And it really doesn't matter if I believe it. Um, It seems far-fetched. I don't know why Kirk would want to do something like that. I don't know why he would do something like that. I think it's possible that Kirk said to Darrell's foster parents, you know, I've, I've got something for you or something like that and not meant this. Um, obviously Darrell and his foster parents believe that that that's what he meant because of the timing of it. Um, but I do, I believe that Kirk was in cahoots with the, with the police department to get his receiver arrested that I don't believe. Um, could Kirk have mentioned it to somebody who then rolled on Durrell and made a phone call? And then, but I mean, it's so hard to know unless that stuff is on record. And I think if it was on record, it would have already been. Um, and I've seen those records from back in the day, there's nothing on record of that. So it's really a, he said, he said. Um, so I, do I believe that story in full? No. I don't. I There's got to be more of an explanation there as to what went down, um, and I believe Durrell ended up with a marijuana possession after all of that. Anyway, um, it's and I've written about this before. It's sad that one of the best receivers in the history of football program is not still welcome back to the football program. There have been players on this team that um, have had other run-ins with the law and been convicted of things, uh, marijuana possession and what have you that, uh, aren't alienated from the program. And, uh, it's unfortunate that one of the better receivers in the history of the program is no longer a part of the program. And I think some of his teammates would, would like that to change. Uh, but that's another story for another day. Um, but to, to be firm, cause I know you're, you're wanting me to know, to, to answer your question, just answer the question. Do I believe that Kirk Ferentz told the cops to raid Darrell's house. No, I do not believe that. I don't know what went down and how it happened, but I do not believe that Kirk went to the cops and told them to raid his house. Uh, but I would be open to evidence that to the contrary if it was there, but I don't think that's there. Um, Mo Tigerhawk, will this independent investigation turn up anything or was it just lip service by the university and was Doyle the scapegoat to let the other coaches continue at Iowa? Yeah, that's that's asking a lot of speculation. I I appreciate that. I would love answers to those questions as well, um, particularly the second question of Doyle being a scapegoat. Um, And we've touched on this in the podcast. I don't know if he was consider if you consider him a scapegoat i will say that the majority of the allegations or the a large the largest number of allegations against the staff were directed at doyle so in that sense i don't think that that you know it was inequitable or it's saving the other coaches um because he was the guy named um and in terms of saving the other coaches that Ties into the first part of your question, which was will the and you use quotation marks, independent investigation? I always wonder how independent these are when the university's paying the bill um, and you know the the report goes right to the president, and then i'm what I'm interested in seeing is how much um how transparent the university is going to be with this report Um, because it's going to be foiled to death. And I don't see that they're going to have an ability to retract anything that's on here. Uh, And if they try, it's not going to be a good look. So they should just release whatever the findings are and then let people make their own judgments and not try to, you know, like give the basketball coach an extension, but not make it public. Things like that. You can't, you've got to be transparent in this situation, but to answer your questions uh, I don't know if Chris Doyle was a scapegoat and I don't know how independent this investigation is. So I didn't really answer your questions. I, I speculated on what, what uh, I think speculation is needed to answer those questions because I don't have the answers. I'm not sure who does at this point. Uh, Swirling lingerie. Asked, do you think Kirk was surprised by the accusations by former players outlined against Doyle? Or rather, do you think Kirk was aware of the bullying culture, but did, didn't previously understand how upsetting and harmful it was to the players even years later? Or do you think he also knew that, but was only forced to take action publicly once explosive or racial elements came into play and the situation spun out of control? I'll hang up and listen. Um, again, um, more spec speculation, speculatory answers here to your questions, because I don't know. Um, I'm hoping we get to, 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 um, to interview Kirk again and ask more direct questions there's so many layers to this and so many unanswered questions that I would like to know. You know, Kirk is not the, the first time we got, I, I think both times he didn't take any direct questions about, Chris Doyle. So we haven't been able to ask him about any of that and how it ties in, you know, what his, um, what, what, you know, he said that he's he's the the head of the program. It's his responsibility, but how culpable is he for what Chris Doyle was doing? How much did he know? What was Chris Doyle doing? We have to see what the investigation brings back. These are only allegations at this point. So um, if I had to guess, I would say that Kirk Ferentz knew that Chris Doyle was a hard ass, and was more of a guy who um, had an older school approach, where it's not as much patting on the back, but you know, bringing the athlete from the lowest level to as high as he can bring him, based on you know. Tactics that I think now can be considered demeaning to use a word that Kirk Ferentz used. And I think that's, there, there's been, that's behaviors been there in with among different coaches as well. Um, things that maybe they thought was, you know, when they were players was, you know, funny or acceptable. That's not acceptable. And the players are telling them that it's not acceptable. So, again, and I've used this uh, before, um, you know, in other podcasts, but its I don't think it should be dismissed as players these days are soft. I just think that there's more of an awareness of um, treating people um, humanely and not messing with them, we see so much with mental health issues in college athletics, and I think that can be traced back to how athletes are treated most often their first times away from home uh, they 're being put into the care away from their parents for the first time of these coaches, and they become parents and father figures or mother figures or whatever. And you, you can still dem- be demanding in coaching. You can still push athletes and try to get the best out of them. But I think the, pr- the approach has to change to the point where you're not, you're, you're, you're not putting a giant, putting a weight on the player's shoulders that is unnecessary to be there to get the best out of them. And uh, there are plenty of coaches that do that. And I think it all starts with communication. I think that's the way it happens. And coaches have to understand and players have to understand that there may be misunderstandings, but they need to work through those with communication. And there needs to be a fairness and not based on color of skin, gender, uh, sexual orientation, any of that stuff. It has to be a fair, balanced, open relationship. And hopefully that's where we're headed. Thank you for the question, Swirling Lingerie. And I don't think I've ever seen you on the board. I think I would have remembered that screen name. All right, quick flip over here. I think Hawks Gone Wild has a question on the basketball board. And then we'll wrap this puppy up. All right. Let's see here. And Hawks Gone Wild just um I had been just leaving putting the the questions on the football board and accepting uh basketball questions there because they were kind of getting intermingled in weeks past where people were asking football questions on the basketball board. But moving forward, I will put it put up the uh bat signal on both both boards and just leave it open for whatever questions about whatever sport people want to ask. So I appreciate you doing that. I think if Luca comes back, I think Pat McCaffrey will be the diamond in the rough. He can play the three and will be and will be an offensive and defensive nightmare, just like Kevin Durant. Not to say he is Durant, but a bad matchup. What do you think, Rob? Thank you. Thanks for the question, Hawks Gone Wild, and uh, I think Patrick has a, has a really high ceiling. Um, the question for him, and, and I spoke to him last last month and, and had a podcast and also a story on him up on the site, He's going to have to deal with these health issues. Um, They're never going to go away. And it's about maintenance and trying to regulate uh, things so he can be at his best most often. And that's still a work in progress. So I don't know how much we can expect from Patrick this year. I think this is an ongoing progress, excuse me, process that they're trying to figure out. He's had a little bit of a, let's say a setback, but he's had some, de- he's had some tough days since they've been back to campus. Uh, and it's, um, it, like I say, and he said, it's going to be, it, it, it's going to be an ongoing, um, issue health issue that he's going to have to deal with, uh, throughout probably his career and most likely his life. So, um, That's always something to keep an eye on. But from just a basketball standpoint, he is just an intriguing player. Uh, He's got a decent outside shot. uh, He's long. uh, He's athletic. um, But a lot of it's going to come to how much weight and how much strength, strength he can. You know, he's been up over 200 pounds now for the first time. If he can maintain his strength and stamina, and maybe it's more you know short stints like Nicholas Bear played, where you play all out and maybe play in you know in a deep roster this year, you play fewer minutes, but you play uh balls out for a lack of better term uh you know when you are in there, and maybe that's the maybe that'll be the key for Patrick, not wearing him down with too many uh combined minutes, but maybe spreading those minutes out and then going hard for those minutes. so I hope the best for Patrick, I like him a lot, um and I think he's certainly. Uh, brings a, a versatility and an element to this that this team could could really really use. So thank you for that question, Hawk, Hawks Gone Wild, and I think that wraps it up. I think we went for at least an hour. I apologize if that went too long, but I appreciate and am thankful for all of the questions you guys brought to me today. It's good to to talk some sports along with uh, the COVID and and things that are going on. Um, uh, you know, around the programs that aren't related to games and competitions. Uh, I, as I said at the top of the podcast, I think that that discussion is going to continue here. Uh, but there's no reason we can't discuss that and discuss sports at the same time. Um, and you guys did a great job today of, of presenting me with questions that touched on a lot of different areas and a lot of different discussions and players and teams and outlooks, and all that stuff, and still a lot of unanswered questions to a lot of the questions you asked, and hopefully as we move forward here, we will get more answers. So again, I appreciate uh, you guys helping out with the podcast. I appreciate you guys listening, reading at Hawkeye Nation, and supporting the site, Um, and we will be back next week with another Hawkeye Nation mailbag podcast. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.